Good morning. Today's reading is from Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 1 and verses 4 through 14. It can be found on page 638 in your pew Bible. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had carried from into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you see me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. You will bring your, you, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, you all, I am so excited to be here with you all this morning in worship. What a treat and a joy it is to be back at Ebenezer Church. Uh, my family and I were here from 2009 until 2015, so six years. My uh, youngest son, or my oldest son, Henry, was one year old when we moved here, and my youngest son was born here. And so it is so much fun to be back. And this is actually what we looked like um, when we were here um, so many years ago. And this is what we look like now. Um, yeah, so you can see the one constant, all of this is my wife, Jill. She looks the same as she did when we got married 20 years ago. Uh, but everybody else has changed a lot. And so it is just such a joy to be here with you all. Um, and so after leaving Ebenezer, I went to a church outside of Richmond uh, called St. Matthew's United Methodist Church and was there for two years. Um, ironically, that is where um, Mark is, not Mark Miller, but the other Mark, Mark Montgomery, is now serving at that same church, which is kind of funny that our, our paths have kind of aligned with each other so much. Um, and uh, after two years serving at, at St. Matthew's Church, I then moved on to do something a little different. I went from being, uh, again, a pastor in a local church to doing um, what we call change or values based change management or strategic planning. And I work with nonprofits, for-profits, higher ed, local government. We do work with all these organizations. And the way I like to describe it to people is we are the Yoda or the um, Obi-Wan Kenobi to Luke Skywalker. 
Meaning, the groups and the organizations that we work for, they're the real heroes. They're the ones, boots on the ground, in the trenches, doing great work to build human thriving and flourishing in the world. We just get to come alongside them and guide them and help them to, to do their work, maybe have a little more impact or do their work um, a little differently so they can have a greater impact. And it has been such a blessing to do that. It's been such a blessing to make that pivot. And you might be saying, well, wait, wait, why? How? Well, so I was in local ministry for 13 years with local churches. And over that 13 years, I will have, I had what I describe as a holy discontent. I loved the people and I enjoyed so much the, the times that I got to, to be with the church, but there was still something that wasn't quite right. Think about it this way. Think if you still had clothes that you had when you were five years old and you try to put them on today. It wouldn't fit. You feel constricted and it's too tight. You can't move. That's sort of how I felt in local church ministry. Um, I wanted to do something different. I felt a call to do something different. And so now, um, through a variety of what I would call serendipitous and Holy Spirit-led circumstances, I, I met the woman who owns the company that I work for now. And we were connected and got to do some work together. And through a season of prayer in my life, um, she said, during that season of prayer, she said, you know what, I've got a full-time job. Would you be interested in coming to work for me? And I said, absolutely, yes, I'm in. Um, and so, so I was able to make that transition. And so now I get to, um, it's funny because it's, it's not a, a faith-based organization and I'm one of the few believers on staff, but here's the thing. People don't realize it that we're working with. They're actually doing amazing things to bring the kingdom of God here on earth as they work with all these organizations to do wonderful work. They just don't realize they're being a part of the kingdom of God. And I get to see it and be a part of that and kind of maybe give some context to that. And it is such a blessing to do that. While I love church people, I'm not working with church people. I'm working out beyond the world, and it's been such a blessing to me. So... um So that's kind of how I got to be where I am. And then when Pastor Rob called and said, well, I saw his voice or his number call up on the cell phone. I was like, my in-laws worship here. And I thought, oh no, what has my father-in-law done? What am I going to have to do? But but fortunately, he was calling with an invitation to come and preach uh, today. And I said, absolutely, I would love to do it. So I'm so excited to be here and preach. And I'm excited for the text that I'll be preaching on, Jeremiah 29. That's been a formative text for my life, particularly when it talks about the, the sense of, of um, prospering and helping the community around prosper, even in the midst of exile. These are just very powerful words. And so I'm excited to be able to preach uh, on that text for you this morning. So that said, let us pray and then we'll dive into Jeremiah 29. Will you pray with me, please? Holy and gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of this day and the opportunity to worship you. God, as your word has been read, and now as it is proclaimed, guide our hearing and our understanding, open our ears and our hearts and our minds to hear the word that you have for each one of us this morning. And God, may your Holy Spirit guide our, our understanding so that we may put it into practice. And God, we pray this in the strong and saving name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Well, so let me give a little context to Jeremiah 29. So Jeremiah is known as one of the major prophets. So in the Old Testament, there are major prophets and minor prophets. And it doesn't have anything to do with like baseball, where you have the major leagues and the minor leagues. It's based on um, how long the text was. So Isaiah and Jeremiah, they're all much longer texts. Whereas Amos and Micah and Hosea, those are shorter texts. The message is still just as important, but they're smaller texts. So that's how they get the major and the minor prophets. So Jeremiah is is a, a major prophet, and he is speaking to the people in Jerusalem. And he's been giving them a warning. God is speaking through Jeremiah to the people of Israel in Jerusalem. And he's saying, friends, you need to, to stop worshiping other gods. 
You see, at that time, the Israelites had begun worshiping Baal. That's a, that's a foreign god, a foreign deity. They've been worshiping him and Yahweh at the same time. So they're kind of trying to cover all their bases. And, and Jeremiah, speaking the word of God, is saying, Stop. You're being unfaithful to God. You must go back and be faithful to God once again. And, and if you go back and read the first 28 chapters of, of, of Jeremiah's words and God's word through Jeremiah, you see him giving warning after warning, sign act and symbolism after symbolism to help the people turn back to God and be faithful to God again. But yet they don't. They, 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 they don't turn around. And ultimately, Babylon comes, Nebuchadnezzar comes, and they conquer Jerusalem, and they destroy the temple, and they carry off the best and the brightest from Jerusalem, and they bring them back to Babylon. You see, that was the tradition back then. If you were a conquering army, you would take the best and the brightest from the group that you conquered to assimilate them into your culture to get the best of their wisdom, the best of their human capital, intellectual capital, and you'd bring them back and assimilate them into your nation. And Babylon did that. Nebuchadnezzar brought the exiles. And that is where we find the exiles in our scripture passage for today. They've been ripped from their homes. Some of them ripped from their families. They're in a foreign land where where nothing is familiar. Nothing is new. They're in a foreign culture that they don't understand. And moreover, because the temple has been destroyed, they are questioning what does this mean for their faith? You know, we're used to being able to go worship in whatever sanctuary we want to, or we could do worship outside on the beach. We, we can, we're used to this flexibility in worship. At that time in Israel, worship happened in the temple because that was God's dwelling place here on earth. And so you worshiped at the temple. You went to the temple to visit God's house to worship. And so now that it's been destroyed, now that they've been removed hundreds, thousands of miles from their home, they don't know what to do. And so they're in a really dark place of despair, wondering, God, where are you in this? And I have to wonder, as they're sitting there in exile, as they're sitting there about to receive this word from God, if they're not stuck between two different types of expectations. The first expectation is what I will call nostalgia. That that longing and pining for the past. It was oh so good. Remember the good old days when everything was just wonderful and everything was just fine? Those of us who are parents probably can most relate to that when we see cute little babies or little two-year-olds and we, oh, they were so wonderful back then. At the first service, there's a set of twins. Oh, they must have been six months old and they were cooing and they're making noise. I'm sure their parents were paranoid about it, but I was eating it up. I was like, oh man, I wish my boys, I would love to go back. And it was the good old days when they were small and I still knew more than they did. They didn't talk back to me. Oh, that was so wonderful. But those parents probably wanted to tell me a thing or two about the sleepless nights they're having and about how those little babies are dependent on their parents for everything, changing their diaper, their clothes, feeding them, getting them up, putting them to bed. So the good old days, there were some good things about the good old days when my boys were small. There were also some challenging things about those days as well. But when we have expectations of nostalgia, we forget about the bad stuff and just remember the good stuff. Oh, can't we just go back? So that might be one set of expectations that the Israelites in exile find themselves in. The second set of expectations is what I'll call the Clark Griswold syndrome. Any of you uh, watch Christmas Vacation as part of your Advent preparations? Yeah, me? So for the last 20, don't judge, the last 20 years, Jill and I have watched that movie, and we always enjoy watching. It's just kind of become a, a ritual. This year we introduced the boys to it. They're 9 and 11. And there's certain parts of that movie I'd forgotten about until we started watching with children. Like, ooh! Yeah, we had to have a conversation after the movie about what that's about. 
But, but we watch that. And, and the, Clark Griswold, if you don't know the film, Clark Griswold is the patriarch of the family. He, he's the dad. And he always has these huge expectations for what, what, what the family vacation is going to be like or what the Christmas celebration is going to be like. He's got these unrealistic, amazing expectations that never are even able to come into fruition. And so there's this deep disappointment that then follows. And the whole, all the films are about resolving that tension of the disappointment. And so I wonder if the Israelites find themselves in a time of thinking, oh, we'll be home by Christmas. God's going to send this amazing army to conquer the Babylonians, and we'll get to go home. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. And they have these great expectations that are unrealistic. And when they don't come to pass, there's deep and bitter disappointment. So I wonder about you this morning. Do you find yourself in a situation where you're, you're pining for the past? The good old days which had some great things and maybe we're forgetting about the things that weren't so great? Or maybe do you find yourselves like Clark Griswold? You had this great vision for how Christmas would go and it didn't go anything like what you had planned. And so now you're grappling with the disappointment that's in your heart with that. You see, I think we too in the 21st century can experience a form of exile as well, much like the Israelites in today's scripture. And we find ourselves battling those two, the, the, the nostalgia and the Clark Griswold effect. We find ourselves battling those two expectations. And I think today's scripture speaks to us and says, wait a minute. Sometimes our expectations get in the way of God's possibilities. Sometimes our expectations get in the way of God's possibilities. Because as the Israelites might be grappling with those expectations, God sends a word to them in the midst of their exile. So Jeremiah, who is still in uh, Jerusalem, is sending this word through uh, a variety of, of messengers whose names I can't pronounce, uh, but you can read them for yourselves in, in, the, in the first couple of uh, verses there in 29. And he sends this word through messengers to the people in Jerusalem. And it says, this is what the Lord the uh, Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And let's pause for a moment there. Did you catch that? All the Israelites that I carried into exile. God is owning this. He's saying, friends, let's not, let's not make any mistakes here. This is exile. This is judgment. This is punishment because they would not listen. They would not be faithful. And so now they are reaping the fruits of that. They're experiencing that. And God is fully owning that. He's not letting them off the hook for it. And God continues, though, with a word of hope. Because then he continues by saying, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and daughters and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Any of the Israelites who would have heard this would have been like, whoa, 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 that, that, that's not the message I expected. I either wanted to go back to the way it was or have God come and with a mighty chorus of, of angels and messengers to rescue us. You want us to build houses? You want us to have children in this place? To plant crops? And then give our children in marriage and have grandchildren? What? Do you know how long that takes? And God said, yeah, I do. And that's exactly what I'm inviting you to in this space. You see, the word that they got in exile was not an expected word. It was very unexpected. They wanted to be rescued, and God says, I need you to stay where you are. And he continues this message of hope in the midst of exile by saying, increase in number there, do not decrease. Now that's curious. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Where have we heard that before? Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, in the creation, the God who made all things, He creates all things, humankind being the pinnacle of His creation, being made in the image of God, having this creative capacity in them, and He tells 
those humans, he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. The echoes of that gracious creative capacity are echoing down the centuries to the exiles in Jerusalem saying, you are still God's people. Yes, you may have walked away. You may have been unfaithful, but God says, I am still faithful. You are still my people. And even in the midst of exile, you can live fully into your human creative capacity. You can do this. I'm calling you to be my people even where you are. But his gracious word doesn't stop there. God continues in saying, Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now he's meddling. It's one thing to kind of set up an enclave and then, yeah, we'll keep to ourselves and sure, we'll have our farms and our houses and and we'll have our, our own marriage ceremonies with our children. But to pray for the Babylonians? To pray for the people who conquered Jerusalem and tore down the temple? To pray for the people who rent us from our home and planted us in this foreign land? Pray for them and their peace and prosperity? Yeah, God says, that's what I'm calling you to do. And again, there are echoes from the Old Testament from Genesis. Echoes from Genesis where God spoke a promise to Abraham. Or Abram at the time. He says, Abram, you are going to be the father of a great nation. And you're going to have descendants that will not outnumber the stars. You'll have descendants that outnumber the grains of sand. And you will be blessed so that you can be a blessing to all the world so people will know who the living God, the God of Israel is. And the call and the inviting of the Israelites in exile to continue living into that promise, continue living in that future, is God's gracious promise to say, look, when you, when you seek the prosperity of the community around you, when you seek the growth and the thriving, um, the, the, the community would thrive, then you too will thrive. Again, God is reminding the Israelites of who they are, who their identity is, and how they are called to lead and to live out where they are, even in the midst of exile. So again, friends, I have to ask, are some of you experiencing exile? Maybe it's not something that you've done and God is punishing you. I, I, I don't, I, there, there's a lot more nuance to it and I don't believe that God still does that. But are you experiencing exile right now? Was there a diagnosis that you weren't expecting? Did something go wrong with a, in a relationship? Is something at work blowing up? And now you find yourself in the midst of exile. And, and, and you, inside you feel this gut reaction to say, oh, can't we just go back to where it was? Or, oh no, I gotta get through this to this other big, great thing. If that might be where you are, I want to invite you to let go of those expectations. To maybe look for God's possibility where you are. And then perhaps just saying, God, perhaps God is saying to you, grow. Plant. Thrive. Pray. Seek the prosperity of those around you. You see that word peace and prosperity in the text? It's actually the Hebrew word shalom, which means fullness, wholeness, peace. It's not necessarily meaning just peace and absence of conflict. It means this wholeness. And God is inviting the people in exile to seek that wholeness for all people around them. I believe that God invites us, even in the midst of our challenges and struggles, to continue to remember our identity as the people of God, made in God's image, to put one foot in front of the other, to do the everyday normal things, to keep going forward, and to remember God's gracious promise to us. Because, again, the word doesn't just stop with um, with people seeking the peace and prosperity of the community around them. 
it continues with God saying, well, first off, he, he says, you've got prophets and diviners among you who are trying to, to keep you to seek, seeking the nostalgia and keeping the, the Clark Griswold effect. He says, don't listen to them. I'm not in them. I'm in saying, be present where you are. And then he says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back, you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. You see, God says, I'm not done with you all yet. Yes, there's judgment. Yes, there's exile. But I'm not done. Just because you're in exile doesn't mean your story is over and has been written, has been completed. I am not done with you yet. And so he gives a gracious word of hope to say, do not lose hope where you are. Stay where you are. Understand the reality of where you are and keep moving forward and thriving even in the midst of exile. It reminds me of what Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, calls the Stockdale Paradox. He, uh, Collins interviews uh, Admiral James Stockdale uh, uh, about his time and experience as a prisoner of war during Vietnam. Stockdale was a prisoner of war for seven years. And in that seven years, he saw a lot happen. And, and in their conversation, um, Stockdale, is, or excuse me, Collins is asking about the resilience of people who are in that situation, a horrific situation, and trying to understand resilience. And Stockdale says, we know, you would think the optimists would have done well in that scenario. He says they didn't. They were actually the first to crack. Because they had these great expectations. Oh, we'll be home by Christmas. And then Christmas would come and go. And they would still be in the prison camp. And say, oh, well, in a few months they'll come and we'll be liberated and rescued. And a few months would go by and they were still in the prison camp. So much so that, that they had these great expectations that would be dashed. And this disappointment would lead to despair. And ultimately they would give up their will to live. Stockdale says, now, then you had the pessimists who did better than the optimists because they had no hope to begin with to be dashed, but their problem was they had no hope. And after a while, they would just waste away, just figuring that this is all there was and that they were just going to give up the ghost right there. So, so when asked, well, well, then tell me about resilience. Who was resilient? What did that look like? Stockdale says this, and I'll read it for you. He says, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. I'm going to read that for you again. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. That's where the Israelites are. They, they, they can't ignore the fact that they are under God's judgment, that they are in exile. They can't pretend that it's not there. It is. That's the reality of their situation. And God has given them a possibility forward and a hope for the future. And it's not the hope of, gee, I hope I get a pony for Christmas. It's the hope that God says, I'm the God who made all of creation. My thumbprint is on you. You are made in my image and you continue to be my people, even in exile, even in judgment. You are my people and continue to be my people and there will be peace and prosperity that flows from you into the community, and you too will experience it. And there's promise and hope for the future that one day all things will be put to right. You see, that is the hope. That is the word that God has for the Israelites in exile. And I believe that is the word that God has for us, even in our modern 21st century exiles. And the challenges we face in life, they're not what we would choose. They're not what we want. But they're the reality we must face and acknowledge that, yes, this is a difficult place to be in. This is a challenging space for me to be present in. I have to acknowledge that. And I also have to trust 
the God who made me has given each one of us creative capacity. The God who made us has given each one of us creative capacity to use in the midst of our circumstances and the hope that God is going to put all things to rights. Because you see, God's word of hope and promise doesn't stop with Jeremiah in the Old Testament. It continues on, right? We just celebrated Christmas, the birth of Jesus, where God sends another unexpected message. One of the most frail creatures on the earth, a human baby who can do nothing for itself. The Savior comes as a human baby to live, to teach, to heal, to be crucified, and then to be raised again. To show God's promise that God is bigger than death. God is bigger than sin. God is bigger than guilt and shame. And therefore, as we experience life on this side of heaven, with all of those things and all the challenges it brings, we too can persevere in the hope of Jesus Christ. So friends, it's been four years. And we don't have the same relationship we had, so I don't know where you find yourselves this morning. But if you're experiencing exile... Know that God has given you hope and a future. And it's a certain and solid hope in the God who redeems in all things and makes all things new. And know that you are made in the image of God. The one who's imprinted creative capacity in you to solve and to do amazing things in the space where you are. So, How will you use your creative capacity? How will you live in the space that God has presented you? How will you see the possibilities and get rid of the expectations so that you can see God's possibilities for you and for the future? So four years ago, when Jill and Henry Nicholas and I left and went to Richmond, this was not here. There was no Embry Mill. It was lines on paper. The changes in the sanctuary were not here. The changes to the facility were not here. Mine Road and the whole interchange in 95, it was not there. It was all ideas. The promise of all these things coming, all these new homes, all this community being built literally in Ebenezer's backyard. And now coming back four years later, it's amazing to see it here. You see, Ebenezer, at the time when I was here, we were waiting for it to happen. We couldn't wait to say, how will we minister in the community? And it is such a blessing to come back four years later to see how you all are seeking to bless the community. To see how you are are desiring to reach your brother, your neighbors around you, to seek their peace and prosperity, knowing that, that out of abundance of generosity, their prosperity will lead to your peace and prosperity. Your Their wholeness will lead to our wholeness. Thank you for doing that. Please don't ever stop doing that. And even when you find yourself in the midst of exile, the difficulties and challenges here, don't ever forget your identity as a child of God, made in God's image with creative capacity, and take the next faithful step forward in the midst, trusting in God's goodness and promise. You see, that's a hope we can proclaim and and cling on to. And that's a hope that the world needs to have. So thank you for being a light in darkness. May you continue to be that light in darkness and continue to take that hope out into the world. Will you pray with me, please? Mighty and gracious God, we give you thanks for your goodness and for your love. And God, there are some this morning who are feeling in the midst of exile, deep disappointment, despair, they're struggling. And God, we don't want to diminish their pain and their suffering. And we do want to acknowledge your goodness and your power to speak into the midst of those difficult and dark places. God, surround those who find themselves in their own exiles. Surround them with with people who love them. Surround them with people who can shine light in the midst of their struggles. God, surround them and may they know your love and goodness. And God, for the people who are Ebenezer Church, 
continue to send them out into the world, continue to bless the community of Stafford through them so that all may know your good news and all may know the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray and all God's people said, Amen.